the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The world is a complicated place. You need someone to expose the political fakers, fixers, and takers, and to cut through the mindless chatter and misdirection to help you make sense of it all. That person is Dan Proft, and this is The Dan Proft Show. Welcome back to The Dan Proft Show. We are joined now by Charles Lipson, Professor Emeritus of Political Science at the University of Chicago and a regular commentator at Real Clear Politics and other sites. Charles, thanks for being on the program. What a pleasure, John. Charles, in this segment, I want to talk about a piece that you've got uh, at the uh, Spectator uh, U.S. It's about education, the sad state of education in America. The, The headline is Chasing Chaucer and Beowulf Out of the Curriculum. What's that all about? Well, the fact is that everywhere, K-12 and universities, there's a kind of rigid political correctness. It's gone beyond the political correctness that we've seen for a couple of decades, and it's literally chasing out all the classics. For example, including Shakespeare is now considered an element of white supremacy. This goes everywhere, but it's, it's just striking when you see the exclusion of the classics of Western literature. And this all began with a, uh, this particular uh, idea of kicking uh, Chaucer and Beowulf out of the curriculum began with an English university, but it, it is replicated in many, many ways all across our universities and increasingly in our high schools. Well, let's talk a little bit about 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 some of the specifics. I think our listeners are aware of that trend, although they may, may not realize how appalling it, it really is. But um, Chaucer, you know, I read Chaucer when I was in college in, in the original Middle English. You know, it's wonderful, wonderful literature. It's one of the one of the building blocks of the English language and of English culture. Uh, what's wrong with Chaucer? Nothing. <laughs> Except that a white male guy wrote it. And there are uh, what economists call opportunity costs. If you, so you can attack Shakespeare or Chaucer or whatever on two grounds. One is they're bad in their own right. And usually that's because uh, they uh, have the wrong DNA. They were white or they were male or they were heterosexual or whatever it might be. And then the other is that we need to have more space for other uh, writers uh, of, who are uh, Hispanic or uh, they're uh, female or they're uh, uh, explicitly uh, uh, gay or whatever it might be. And I personally am, am delighted to see an English curriculum that includes all kinds of voices as long as the core curriculum is focused on the best work, uh, the Chaucers, uh, the Shakespeare's, uh, the 
uh, Jane Austens, uh, the George Eliots, and, and uh, Virginia Woolf's, whatever you think are uh, the best that has been thought and said in our history, uh, which is the way that a great 19th century uh, thinker, uh, Matthew Arnold, once put it, you couldn't even say that today on a college campus. No, you certainly couldn't. I, I had a morbid fascination, though, Charles, with, with the argument on the other side. How about Beowulf? Now, Beowulf is not one of my favorites. I suppose a liberal could say it's, you know, pro-violence or, or something. What's the, what's the knock on Beowulf? Well, I'm with you. I never all uh, liked it all that much. Let me say something about Beowulf. Beowulf is, is unreadable uh, for us uh, mortals who don't uh, know old English. You can read Chaucer, and with a little help, you can understand uh, it. In the, you need a little more help than you would need for Shakespeare. But uh, Beowulf is actually uh, much closer to a German uh, language from which English sprung. I mean, it's a direct uh, antecedent. But um, uh, the the most interesting thing I know about Beowulf, I don't know if you know this, uh, John. Uh, I didn't know it for a long time either. It um, For a long time, we only had eight lines of the whole poem and had basically nothing else from medieval uh, England. And then one copy was discovered, and that's all we have is one single copy. Yeah, and that copy got rescued from a fire, I believe, too. <laughs> yes, yes, it was in the 1600s, I believe, uh, one English household, you know, noble household, had in its library uh, a copy of the whole poem, and that's why we have it. But I think the best way to think of this is that we're erasing all of our traditions and to the extent that we keep them we keep them as negative examples so in a way it's of a piece with taking George Washington's and Abraham Lincoln's name off of the schools in San Francisco yeah, these things obviously are driven by the same kind of impulse. You know, I wrote a post last night about this this effort to drive Shakespeare out of the public schools, and I quoted uh, some teacher somewhere who 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 was saying that Romeo and Juliet exhibits toxic masculinity. Now, <laughs> I mean, given that Romeo and Juliet both took poison, I suppose the word toxic is not entirely out of place. But seriously, I mean, anybody who's ever seen or read Romeo and Juliet, toxic masculinity? Are you kidding me? It's just dreadful. I would also say that for 20 years or so, uh, I have noticed uh, among really brilliant students who are at elite universities, uh, a near total lack of shared cultural background of high culture. Uh, that is, they all can, you know, quote from uh, Homer, meaning the Simpsons, but not from Homer, meaning the poet. And things that uh, a previous generation had, which is a kind of deep in your bones knowledge of the King James language, the language of the King James version of the Bible, uh, and, and the English Book of Common Prayer, which may, many people may not know, but their language reflects it. Uh, the same is true for Shakespeare. 
the same the same is true for you know, for Americans for Mark Twain. If and of course Huckleberry Finn, which is one of the greatest novels in American history, is now just completely prohibited because of the N word. Uh, as if Twain himself wasn't a great uh, anti-racist. So there there is something beyond the loss of um, <clears throat> reading great works and even uh, understanding our tradition, and that is that as part of a common culture, we need to have a kind of common cultural background, and we're losing that, and we're losing it deliberately as a political strategy. No, I think you're right about that, Charles. One more thing. I'm curious about your opinion on this. Some of this is obviously politically driven. It's anti-American. It's anti-Western culture. But I think there's another factor. I think that many teachers nowadays frankly, lack the intelligence and lack the cultural awareness to uh, appreciate or even frankly be able to read. Shakespeare and Chaucer. What do you think about that? We have all these graduates of education programs, you know, teaching in the public schools. I think that a lot of teachers are just not up to that task. Well, we have uh, an embarrassing example uh, of that, which is Andrea Mitchell, who, when uh, Ted Cruz quoted uh, from uh, in the aftermath of the uh, impeachment, said that the trial in the Senate was a lot of sound and fury signifying nothing. It's a quote from Shakespeare. She said uh, that Ted Cruz was wrong in saying it came from Shakespeare. It came from uh, William Faulkner, she said, because William Faulkner had a novel uh, entitled The Sound and the Fury. But what is so embarrassing about that is that Andrea Mitchell was an English major and anybody knows anything about Faulkner knows that the point of that, he didn't just randomly take a phrase from Shakespeare. The line from Shakespeare's life is a tale told by an, told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. And the point of using that quote was that the first section of the sound and the fury is told by a guy who is referred to in the book as an idiot, a guy who is mentally deficient. And, and the art of that section of the book is that Benji doesn't understand a lot of the things that he sees, but the reader does. The reader can interpret what he describes and understand it, even though Benji doesn't. So that Shakespeare quote is really vital to the sound and the fury. It's not random. And that's the kind of thing that you would learn as a freshman in any English yeah. class. How many, grad, how many graduates of our best high schools could grasp that? Hey, Charles, we're, we're not getting the hard break, Charles, so we're going to have to run yeah. to some commercials yeah. here, but we will be right back after these messages. Sharpen your pencils. Class is in session with Professor Dan Proft and the Dan Proft Show. Welcome back to the Dan Proft Show. We are talking with Charles Lipson, Professor Emeritus at the University of Chicago. And Charles, before the break, we were talking about this movement that we see in the public schools. We see it in the universities. We also also see it in the uh, K-12 through uh, schools. This movement to drive out of the curriculum, really the cornerstones of 
of American and Western uh, culture. We're talking about uh, Chaucer. We're talking about Shakespeare. We're talking about, you know, Mark Twain. And um, and to some extent, what's going on here seems to me to be really an attempt at a, a kind of a cultural suicide. Does that make sense? It does. Uh, it's a suicide of the culture that you and I value as a common culture. And we don't value it uh, as white supremacy. Uh, I know that I speak for, for you and, and for our audience. I mean, this is just damning us with a, a false accusation. We want uh, an America. Uh, we want a West that is uh, open to new ideas and is inclusive across races, creeds, and colors. And But we don't want in the process but to have people uh, condemned for what for being raised in a two-parent family by loving parents, we don't want them condemned for the DNA of their ancestors. We want a, a society of mobility and a society that appreciates the good things of our past, but that is able to critique uh, the things that aren't so good in our past. You know, right before we went to the break, Charles, you were talking about the fact that um, student student enrollment in the humanities has declined drastically, and there's not very many English majors anymore. Talk about that a little bit more. I, mean, I, I can easily imagine that if I were a college student, the last thing I would want to do is sit in classrooms and be lectured about, you know, race, class, and gender, right? Uh, and if I, okay. I want to read Jane Austen, I'll go read Jane Austen, but I, you know, I, I don't need to listen to that stuff. Is that, is that kind of what's going on? We don't know all the reasons why uh, there's been a decline in enrollment in the humanities. If you ask the people in the humanities, they, of course, blame the students. Uh, they say that they all want to become, uh, to go into uh, computers and, and to be investment bankers or whatever it is. But the courses in uh, the humanities have become very ideological. And beyond ideological, uh, they become very, quote, theoretical. That is, if you go into an English uh, major, you might end up reading a lot of books on theories of imperialism. And everything is about race, class, gender, and post-colonialism. Well, most students who want to go into English, they certainly want to hear the voices of different groups and different experiences, but they want to read uh, Jane Austen. They want to read Middlemarch, George Eliot's Middlemarch. They, they want to read Virginia Woolf. Uh, and they want to read T.S. Eliot and so forth, and they don't want everything about Mark Twain uh, to be bodlerized, to have the words uh, that he used uh, changed, and they don't want to... Uh, I mean, uh, Mark Twain is a great uh, way to talk about race uh, in America, but you also want to read it as a great novel. Yeah, and part of what's going on here, absolutely, is the cultural suicide that we've been talking about, the, the deliberate you know, leftist indoctrination, anti-Americanism, anti-Western culture. But a lot of it's just dumbing down. I mean, it, it's, it's true that it takes more effort, more intellectual commitment to read Chaucer and Shakespeare 
than to read a lot of the, you know, the stuff that's typically cranked out, you know, that, that, that people are want to read. And, and I think, I think both, uh, students, but especially teachers. I think there are a great many teachers in the public schools that are not up to making that effort or not up to leading their, their students in making that effort. And I think, I think another example of that, that dumbing down that I wrote about on Powerline a couple of days ago, it's just shocking to me. There's this movement in the public schools to declare that math is racist. And you read that and you say, what on earth are they talking about? And the answer is, well, the, the focus on finding a right answer, that is white supremacy. The idea of trying to solve a problem and get the right answer, that's very white. Well, so that is, whole... is the kind of person, the person who agrees with the idea that finding the right answer is racist is not the kind of person I want building a bridge across the Mississippi River. I mean, it's incredible to me, and it's all, that but that I think idea. That I think underlying this, besides the sheer craziness, there the problem here is that when you move, and uh, the De- uh, Department of Justice is probably going back to this. This was the way Eric Holder looked at it. If you found that more, uh, let's say, African American children were being disciplined for bad behavior in a school than white children, let's say, or Asian children, then that was by definition racist, right? Because it was unequal outcomes. And so a lot of what you have is people looking at outcomes that look different between different groups. First of all, one of the worst things that has happened in American politics is that nobody is an individual anymore. They're only a member of a group. You're gay or you're this, or, you know, or you're a Jew or you're a, a Hispanic, um, whatever it is. And I like pride in the groups, but I don't like the idea that it removes from us all of our individual characteristics. And then once you say that a particular group is uh, has is underrepresented. There are no black uh, uh, field goal kickers in the NFL. Then that must be racist. And uh, that's where you have a problem. And you do have a problem in the number of blacks who are succeeding in the sciences. And that needs to be addressed. But it can't be addressed by saying, oh, that's because the sciences uh, as a rigorous subject. Well, if you want, Charles, if you want to ensure that black students continue to underperform in the sciences, there's no better way to guarantee that than by telling them from elementary school, don't worry about getting the right answer. Or even well, worse, you're not one of the ones who are able to get the right answer. You know, so forget about exactly it. exactly right. You are exactly right. And then admit them to schools where... Uh, um, they're uh, being admitted uh, in order to even up a racial balance rather than in that particular school because they are qualified to take the organic chemistry course. That's a sure way of taking potential doctors and funneling them into urban studies. So it's, it's a very serious problem, and it creates huge amounts of frustration all through the campus, all through K-12, actually. 
Yeah, it's a huge problem. And I, I sometimes wonder if a country, frankly, can survive with an educational system as terrible as ours has become. We have been talking with Charles Lipson. Charles, thanks so much for being on the program. What a pleasure. What a pleasure, John. Thank you. It's a nice day to start again. Come on, it's a nice day for a white wedding. Exposing political fakers, fixers, and takers. He's Dan Proft, and this is The Dan Proft Show.